You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Would you uh, pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, you are, you are good. You are kind. You are gracious. I love you. I love you. Would you help me love you more? Would you help us love you more? I pray that for all of us. God, I pray you would use the next few moments as I bring forth your word, as we sing, as we go to your table later. May you use all we do as means of grace and sanctification in our lives, I ask. And I pray that we would walk out of this place more committed to the gospel than when we came in. That we would believe the true gospel and that it would govern how we live our lives. I pray that for all of us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, City Church, and Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I was told that there are 12 days of Christmas. Pastor Jonathan reminded us of that last week, so I still get about four more days. Is that right, Pastor Jonathan? I got about four more days to say it, and I'm going to take advantage of it. So to you this morning, City's Church, I say Merry Christmas. Thank you. I'm excited to dive into the book of Galatians This morning, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in the Roman province of Galatia. Uh, There is some slight dispute amongst biblical scholars as to precisely which group of churches in the province of Galatia this letter was written to. Uh, For our purposes, that dispute is not necessarily relevant. But if you're ever doing a study on the the timeline of the book of Acts or the historicity of the New Testament, that that debate does become relevant. But as we go through the book of Galatians and how we study it and interpret it and apply it, it may not necessarily be relevant to us. The first few verses of this book are the greeting from Paul to the Galatians. You just heard Pastor Joe uh, read those verses. And I think it's really easy to underestimate greetings. I know I did actually a few days ago. I sent a text message to the other pastors and said, I don't, man, I, I think the sermons are going to probably be pretty short because uh, it's just a greeting. There's not a lot there. And then my first run through was over 44 minutes long. So my wife was like, you've got a lot more to say about everything than you think. You've got a lot more to, I'm like, oh, I guess that's true. But, I, but as, one of the things I've I've realized is that greetings are probably more important than I think we probably give them credit for. Let me give you, a, let me give you an example. If I walk into Target later this afternoon, and I walk up to the counter, and I say to the lady behind the counter, if I've got a, a nice big smile, and I say to her, good morning, or good afternoon, hello, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, how are you doing today? Th- that interaction will probably be fruitful, productive, pleasant. Right? The way I've greeted her will inform the rest of the interaction. But if I walk in the Target with a sour face, and I walk right up to the counter, and I don't, say, I don't greet her at all, and I just say, can I speak to your manager? That's going to change how she feels. The interaction is going to be different because of the way I've greeted her. And so greetings really do set the tone for a dialogue or an interaction of any kind. Greetings also give us incredible insight into the nature of someone's relationship. Many of you know I I teach at a small college in Bloomington, and in in an academic setting, I'm often going to be much more formal. I may say something like, Dr. Johnson, good morning, how are you today? Or Dr. Wilson, how's your day thus far? 
but when I went home to Pennsylvania, where, my, where I'm from, for Thanksgiving, and I saw my brothers, I've got two brothers, Tony and Raul, I didn't greet them that way. When I see my brother Raul, it goes something like this. Yo, 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 what up, bro? <laughs> right? And, and I throw him the bro hug. What up, bro? Right? Like, that gives you insight into my relationship with my brother. Like, like the, the warmth or the casual nature of it gives you insight. And, and the same is true for the greetings we see from the Apostle Paul to the letters that he has written to. This week I've spent quite a bit of time reading through all 13 of Paul's greetings. He wrote 13 letters and examining them and comparing them. And the greeting to the Galatians is different than all of the others. There's a sense of intensity that we pick up on that we don't get anywhere else. There's a, there's a pointedness. There is almost a harshness or a directness that we don't get anywhere else in all of his greetings. Paul is heartbroken in this moment. He is bewildered and confused about what's going on in Galatia. And he's angry. And we pick up on all these things when we compare this greeting to all of his other greetings. And so we're going to look at those. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says this. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor from man. Let's pause there for a second. Now this actually, this very first few words is very normal for Paul. Paul says, Paul, an apostle. In nine of his 13 letters, he starts off by mentioning his apostleship. That's where he starts. He immediately mentions that he is an apostle. So what he's doing here in this verse in, to the Galatians is not abnormal or unique. But he immediately does something that is unique. He does something here that he doesn't do anywhere else in the other 12 letters that he's written. Usually, he tells you who appointed him. But here, he starts off by making it clear who did not appoint him. He's like, I, I was not appointed by men. It wasn't some group of humans that decided that I was going to be an apostle. He doesn't do this anywhere else. He's emphasizing something here to the Galatians that he doesn't feel the need to emphasize in his other letters. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why does he feel the need to remind them, I want to tell you who did not make me an apostle, and that's men. To understand that, we want to do some background work. As we go through this letter, God willing, over the next uh, three or four months, we'll pick up on various things here. We'll learn that Paul had previously been in the region of Galatia. He had been there preaching the true gospel, planting churches, and then after he left, a group came in after him. A group of Jewish false teachers came in after he left, and they proclaimed a false gospel. Paul knows at this point that there are people in Galatia saying things. There are, things, there are probably people saying things like, well, we heard Paul's teachings, and we heard the teachings from these Jewish teachers over here. Why should we believe Paul over them? What makes Paul so special? Paul knows that his, his credibility is being questioned. And Paul answers that by saying, do you know what makes me credible? Because it wasn't humans that appointed me. That's what he's doing here. And then he tells them who did appoint him. It's like, I wasn't appointed by man. I was appointed by God. 
Here's what he says. Look at the second half of verse 1. Through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So first he says, I was not appointed by men. But you know who did appoint me? Jesus Christ and God the Father. The one who brought Jesus back from the dead. That's who gives me credibility. That's why my message is a message worth listening to over what these other guys have been teaching you. Later in verse 12, he says this, I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was it taught, nor was it taught, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. Paul is making it very clear to them, the message I got wasn't something I just thought on my own. It wasn't something I just concocted one day. This isn't just my subjective interpretation of the scriptures. No, no. The message I preached to you, hey, Galatians, remember what I preached to you? That came from Jesus Christ himself. He's making it very clear. You're not picking between two messages from two different groups of people. It's not like you're picking um, okay, a message that Paul said, this guy over here, versus a message that these other guys over here said. No, no. He goes, you're, you're currently picking, picking between two messages, one from a group of dudes and one from Jesus. You better pick wisely. Like that's, that's the message he starts to make clear here. So what is this false gospel that they've been propagating. I think it's valuable for us to pause for a moment and just compare the gospel that Paul preached to the gospel that the, these particular group of men preached. These Jewish false teachers that came in after Paul, they were claiming, as we'll see throughout this letter, that in order to be truly saved, in order to be forgiven of your sin, in order to go into the family of God and enjoy the presence of Jesus forever, in order to truly receive salvation, that you need to do more than just believe in Jesus. You need to also be obedient to the laws of the Old Testament. That's, ex that's what they were teaching. We typically refer to this group, we, we call them the Judaizers. It's a name we call this particular group. So this false gospel was from the Judaizers. You won't find that word Judaizer in your English contemporary translations. It's a word that, that we use to refer to this group. The, the word Judaizer comes from a particular Greek phrase that simply refers to people who emphasize obedience to the Jewish law, to the Jewish customs. And that's what they were doing. That's why we call them Judaizers. And so these Judaizers were telling the Galatians, you want to be saved? Believing in Jesus is not sufficient. You need to also be obedient to the laws of the Old Testament. They were telling these Galatians, eternal life is found in your ability to obey. But that is a lie. Salvation is not found in our ability to obey the law. The law is of great value. We've just gone through the book of Exodus. We, we value the law, but the law does not save us. Eternal life cannot be earned by behaving properly. Eternal life is a gift that comes to us through faith in Jesus. And that's what Paul's about to dive into. Look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Paul says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We notice here that even in these opening verses, Paul wastes no time 
getting down to business. He gets right to the heart of the gospel. He gives very few uh, introductory remarks. He's not greeting anyone by name. He's not using warm, flowery language. He gets right down to business. You, you pick up on almost a sense of urgency from Paul here. He says, grace and peace to you. Because he wants them to experience the grace and peace of God. He knows that the grace of God, when it's extended, when we believe the true gospel of grace, gives us peace with God. And apart from grace, there is no peace. By nature, we are at odds with God. The book of Romans tells us that we are enemies of God. But Paul knows that through grace, we can have peace with God. He wants us to experience the grace and peace that comes from God. But he knows that to, to genuinely experience the grace and peace of God that only comes through faith in Jesus. He jumps right to Jesus. He says, Jesus died for our sins. That's the heart of the focus. That, that's what he's laser focused on. The death of Jesus and what it accomplishes. The atoning death of Jesus. And he proclaims that the death of Jesus for our sins then leads to our deliverance, and he says, from this present evil age. I want to double-click on that term, present evil age, for just a moment. It, it clearly does not mean that, that the death of Jesus then rescues us from living in this present evil age. We're still here. Uh, and Jesus wants us to be here. In John 17, 15, Jesus prays these words to the, to the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take him out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, Jesus says. So the deliverance being alluded to by Paul here in this greeting to the Galatians is not a removal from this present age, but protection from the evil one as we live in this present evil age. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Satan is called the God of this world, and that he blinds the minds of unbelievers. That's what's going on in this present evil age. Satan is going around blinding people. But those of us who believe in Jesus, we are no longer blinded. The Holy Spirit has given us the ability to see clearly. There are so many people in this age that are blinded. They are convinced that this is all there is. That there is no future age to come. And so they are infatuated with this evil age. In fact, we, we learn in 2 Timothy about a man named Demas that Paul says was in love with this present evil age. Demas had been a part of Paul's ministry team. He traveled with Paul and did ministry with Paul. But Demas was in love, infatuated with the present evil age, and he departs. He walks away from the true gospel. There are so many like this. But we who are in Christ, we, we can see that there is an age to come, a glorious age when all wrongs are righted, when we are given glorified bodies, when we will enjoy his presence face to face. There is an age to come. Oh, City Church, I pray that we would live in this age like we genuinely believe there's an age to come. May that be true of us. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we have tasted the goodness and the powers of the age to come. 
Well, we don't see it in its fullness, but we've tasted what it's going to be like through Jesus. And of course, we read elsewhere in the New Testament that being rescued from the blinding power of Satan in this evil age is not the only thing we're rescued from. In 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 10, the apostle Paul tells us that Jesus also delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, there is a wrath to come. There is judgment coming and we all deserve it. And there are so many people in this age that are convinced there is no wrath. There's so many so-called Christian pastors out there claiming that there is no judgment. That we don't actually deserve punishment. But it's not true. All of us are sinners. By nature and by choice. We all deserve eternal condemnation. We deserve wrath. God could send all of us to hell and he would not be wrong to do that. But God, who loves us, who is rich in love, he is merciful and gracious, he made a way for us to be forgiven. But it's not dependent upon our ability to obey the law or do good stuff. It's dependent upon our faith in Jesus. God became a man Jesus entered the human story. He lived a perfect life that we should have lived, but we could not. And then he dies a brutal death that should have been you. It should have been me. It should have been us on that cross. But Jesus dies in our place. And God puts the sin and guilt and shame of us on him. It is by his death that he makes it possible for us to be delivered from the powers of this age and the wrath that is to come. It is because of the death of Jesus on our behalf that we are delivered, Paul says here in this greetings. And of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. Praise be to God. He didn't stay dead. But God the Father vindicates him by raising him up on the third day. And now the offer is made to us, that if we would believe in Jesus, that we would genuinely place our trust in Christ and in Christ alone, if we would actually believe that his death does indeed atone for sin, and if we would humbly seek his mercy, he promises to save us. In Romans 10, Paul says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, that is good news. That's the greatest news ever. That's the true gospel. That's the gospel that the Galatians had abandoned. And this is why Paul is writing this letter. They had abandoned the true gospel for a false gospel of the Judaizers. This blinding ideology. The reality is, this is happening to us today as well. We live in a present evil age where there's lots of false gospels running rampant, blinding people. Here's a few of the ones that exist in our day. There's the prosperity gospel movement. This is a, a movement that's focused on money. Jesus wants you to be rich. And if you're not rich, it's because you're not a good Christian or you lack faith. On the other side, there's the poverty gospel movement. 
This one is not as popular. We don't talk about this one as much. But it's an ideology that exists. That, that in order to get God's approval, you have to be destitute. That's in essence. You have to live a really hard life. And anything fun is bad. We've got to be poor in every way possible to get God's approval. There's the word of faith movement, which is often closely aligned with the prosperity gospel movement. But this ideology is the ideology that says you can create your own reality by your words, by what you say or don't say. There's the social gospel movement, which really got steam in our country in the early 20th century. This movement is focused on doing charity or political activism. This false gospel typically says that the only thing that really matters is helping the poor and not talking about heaven or hell or doctrine or the death of Jesus. But really, all that really matters is helping people live a, a better life. Implementing socialistic ideas. Listen, stop talking about converting people. Stop talking about beliefs or doctrine or the death of Jesus. And just give people stuff or help them live a better life. That's the social gospel. Now, we should care about the poor. We should care about doing works of justice and mercy. Those are very important. But if that's all we've got to offer the world, if that's it, if our gospel doesn't have any power to transcend this age, if, this, if the gospel we preach doesn't actually cause people to positively and with a, with, a, with a glorious mindset look forward to the age to come, then the gospel we preach is powerless. Then there's, then there's works-based gospels, false versions of Christianity. They do enough good stuff and you can earn your way to heaven. All right? This is pretty popular in American culture, right, where we, where we love American ingenuity and American hard work. You pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Then there's these wacky extreme ideas of Christian nationalism, right, where God loves America more than other countries. We're somehow better. All the promises of Israel in the Old Testament apply to us as Americans. Where somehow being a good Christian means you always vote Republican. It's a false gospel, and it runs rampant in our country. Or how about the, the so-called progressive Christianity movement? There's another false gospel. It claims that for centuries, historic Christianity has in essence misrepresented the Bible. That, that, we, that we've got it wrong for centuries, but we modern folks, we finally figured it out. For centuries, we've been oppressive to people, but, but now we finally, truly actually understand the Bible for the first time ever. We know what it's really all about this progress, so-called progressive Christianity. Or there's the deconstruction or the ex-evangelical movement that is gaining steam today. But th these are people basically saying, I get to pick what parts of the Bible I want to believe, and I get to reject which parts of the Bible I don't want to believe. Th this is rooted more in postmodernism than it is in orthodox Christianity or any genuine understanding of the Scripture. These are all ideologies that run rampant in our present evil age. And they blind people to understanding what Jesus has really done. And sometimes people embrace these ideologies wholeheartedly. But many of us sometimes unintentionally maybe allow some of these ideologies to seep into our minds and hearts and our thinking. Sometimes it's just subtle. We don't even notice that it's there. But church, I exhort you. Be careful. Be on guard. Jesus delivered us from this evil present age. Do not allow the ideologies, the false gospels of this age to blind you. 
be cautious. Overall, with many of these false gospels that exist, as existed in the first century, the ones that exist today in our day, there's such a pull to get Christians to stop thinking about the death of Jesus. Really, at the heart of many of these things is this idea that the death of Jesus really doesn't matter as much as some people would like you to believe. There's this pull to say, listen, stop talking about what Jesus did through his death, and let's just start doing these other things over here. There's this minimizing of the atoning death of Christ. Recently, I was on Facebook, and I was scrolling, and I saw a friend of mine had posted a quote from a relatively well-known religious leader. And it was, uh, I didn't comment at all. I just read, there were several dozens of comments, and I was reading through them. And it was interesting because this friend of mine, I'll, I'll call him Bob, my friend Bob is, uh, is relatively hostile toward Christianity. He's got what I would call a, a secular progressive ideology. And I, I thought it was interesting that he would post a quote from a religious leader of any kind. And I wasn't the only one. Other people made some comments on the thread. They're going, hey, it's interesting. You're kind of like anti-Christian. Like, why would you post this, this quote from this particular Christian religious leader? Well, my friend Bob responds to some of the comments, and he says, well, you know, I, I really like this particular religious leader because he's not one of those types of Christians that's always talking about heaven or hell. He's not one of those Christians that, that, that really, you know, they, they're all about, like, the bloodiness of Jesus. Like, anyone can die. Jesus' death is not that big a deal. But this guy, this Christian leader, he's really focused on, like, doing good works. And I really like that. He's not one of those other kind of Christians. He's, he basically is making the point that if, if we as Christians were more like this guy, where we didn't talk about the death of Jesus much, then, then I really think Christianity would be better off. That was his idea. He touted this particular religious leader's ideology and this particular religious leader's political activism and charity work and fundraising work and social campaigns and educational initiatives. And he's talking about all the good things this particular religious leader did. And my friend Bob says, I really like that this guy is not really into all that Jesus stuff. Exact quote. This religious leader claimed Believing in Jesus is not relevant, but that all that matters is our service to our fellow man. He said, Christians get it wrong when we're so focused on getting people to convert, to believe in Jesus, but really all that matters is just serving them. Friends, this is a false gospel because belief matters. In fact, it's the primary thing, and everything flows out from that particularly what you believe about the death of Jesus. Do you really believe this was God become a man who has died in your place? Do you believe that you deserve to die and that he died in your place? That matters a lot. Cities Church, a variation of Christianity that does not focus on the death of Jesus is not Christianity at all. It is something different altogether. The true gospel of Jesus centers and is focused on the atoning work of Jesus at the cross, on his death and his resurrection. Do you believe that his death is sufficient for sin? Because if you don't, you don't believe the gospel, and you're no better off than the Galatians. Paul is focused on the death of Jesus, and so should we. One other important thing I want to point out from this letter there's something remarkably missing from this greeting 
from Paul to the Galatians. As we examine this greeting and we compare it to all of his other greetings, we notice there's something is missing. Typically in the first century, a letter like this one would almost always include a prayer of thanksgiving. And Paul does this. In 12 of his 13 letters, he has some variation of a prayer of thanksgiving or blessing to the, to the audience. But there's one letter that doesn't. It's the Galatians. A prayer of thanksgiving is a staple in Paul's letters. Let me give you some examples. To the Ephesians, he says this, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints. For this reason, I do not cease to give thanks, Paul says to the Ephesians. To the Romans, he says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith that has been proclaimed across the world. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul says this, We always thank God when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Again, his prayers of thanksgiving is a staple in all of his letters. You read this one, and it's it's missing. This is striking. This would have been a shock to his first century audience. It's almost as if Paul's thinking to himself, you've missed the gospel. There's really nothing to be thankful for. I don't care what good stuff you've done. When you miss the gospel, it's all irrelevant. The stakes are too high. You miss the gospel. I don't have time to thank you for anything. I got to get right to business. I got to remind you that Jesus died for our sins and he delivered us from this present evil age. What are you doing, Galatians? This is the most striking thing about the Thanksgiving prayers as I've been looking at them this week. Even the Corinthians get one. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, that church is a disaster, right? In Corinth, you've got infighting, arguing, quarreling. You've got people in the church that have filed lawsuits against each other. You've got gross sexual sin that, they, that is going unaddressed. And Paul, is, Paul says to them, not even the pagans put up with that, Right? You've got people abusing the spiritual gifts in the church. You've got people in the middle of the church service yelling out, right, causing a ruckus and a distraction. You've got fights going on. You've got people getting drunk at the, commu- getting drunk at the communion table. It is chaos in Corinth. You could say that the church in Corinth is a hot mess. Here's how Paul greets them. I give thanks to my God for you. Always, because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And that in every way you were enriched. Even that church gets a thankful greeting. A prayer of thanksgiving. Even Corinth gets one. But not Galatia. Not the churches in Galatia. No. With Galatians, nothing. Crickets. Why? Because they've abandoned the gospel, the true gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus who died for our sins and delivered us from this present evil age. And if you abandon the gospel, nothing else matters. This overshadows everything else. City's church, may we never Abandon the true gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead and that we can be saved through faith. Christ 
died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He delivered us from this present evil age. And he promises to deliver us from the wrath to come. And church, that ought to lead us to worship. That, that's what happens here. Look at, verse, look at verse 5 with me. The Apostle Paul breaks into a, a doxology. He breaks into worship. And he's, he's just talked about the gospel, the deliverance. And then Paul breaks and he says, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He's talking about Jesus, and he breaks into this worship. He can't help but just explode. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Because when you're reminded of the gospel, that's the best response. When you come face to face with the reality, when you are reminded that you have been delivered from your sins, when you've been delivered from the false gospels that could have controlled you in this evil present age, when you come face to face with the reminder that the God of love made a way for you to be saved, that Jesus died for your sins, and that he rose from the dead. There's nothing to be said other than simply this. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you find yourself struggling to break into worship for God, to God. Remind yourself of the gospel. And that's why we come to this table every single week to remind ourselves of the true gospel that Christ died for our sins, he rose from the dead, and that we can be saved through faith. We come to this table every single week to focus on, to emphasize the death of Jesus. Because the true gospel is laser-focused on the death of Christ for us. In just a moment, our pastors are going to come. We're going to serve communion. We are back to a more normalized variation of the Lord's table. I'm excited about it. We've got real bread. It is gluten-free. The body of Christ is gluten-free. We've got, we've got, we've got the trays. Uh, a reminder, I know it's been a year and a half, so the outside ring is grape juice. Everything in between is wine. So the outside ring of the tray is grape juice. The inside is wine. There, we're going to pass one time. There's these little, they're stacked. So it's a cup with a little piece of bread, gluten-free bread, and then there's another cup inside of it. It's got wine inside of it. We didn't want to do a bowl, so you're not, you know, people are concerned about reaching in. So we've got little things. We'll see how, how it goes, but hopefully it is better than those things we've been using. This meal is for anyone here who believes in Jesus. If you are a genuine follower of Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, then we, part, then we would encourage you, invite you to participate in this meal with us. But if you are here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. If you have not genuinely put your faith in Christ, <clears throat> I encourage you today, when it comes, just let it pass by. But don't let the moment pass by. In this moment, instead of taking communion with us, I implore you, Take Christ. If you don't know what that means or you want to have a conversation about that, I'd love to have a conversation. Feel free to come on up after service and let's talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. For the rest of us here who have believed in the true gospel of grace, we're going to partake together. City's Church, his body is the true bread. His blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.